Well, hello. Welcome to Veritas. I was going to pray, but Lily just did that, so I guess I don't have to. Um, About two years ago, uh, it was December, maybe January, one of the winter months. Uh, I remember that because Columbia at the time was getting hit with a a, a really significant snowstorm. Several inches of snow over over just a few hours. And, and I remember that because something happened that night that, that I will probably never forget. Noelle and I, my wife, were laying in our bed. Uh, it's about one in the morning. We're asleep, obviously. And, and all of a sudden, uh, over our baby monitors, we hear a dog barking. We're like, what the hell? I mean, you jump out of bed like, what is going on? Uh, we didn't have a dog, so there shouldn't be a dog barking over our baby monitors. Uh, and we flip the lights on, and, and we realize it's our daughter, Lily, and she's barking, and, and we're confused. And, and we start laughing, you know, a minute goes by, and, and Noel is finally like, well, maybe I should, I should go check to see what, you know, kids are funny, they do weird things, but maybe should I should check to see what was going on. And so she walks down to the room. Um, I'm, I'm expecting her to just come back in a few seconds. And all of a sudden, I hear Noel start yelling. And it was right then that I knew something was very wrong. You see, when Noelle went into the room and flipped the light on, she saw Lily kind of on all fours. She was convulsing. She, she, she couldn't catch her breath. She was gasping for air. And as a parent in that moment, we had absolutely no idea what to do. We were terrified. As parents, we had never experienced anything like that, our little girl not really being able to breathe. And so we went into complete panic mode. Our fear turned to desperation. We called our pediatrician in the middle of the night, and he said, hey, you probably don't need to call an ambulance, but you need to get to the ER immediately. Well, the problem was the snowstorm had left several inches of snow in our driveway, and I didn't know what to do. And so literally, I remember I had gym shorts and a t-shirt, and I run out into my driveway, and I'm shoveling as fast as I can. Every second, every minute that goes by, I'm wondering, what's going to happen to our little girl? There's a, the, a, a pretty big um, hill at the entrance of our neighborhood. We didn't have four-wheel drive. The, the roads hadn't been plowed. We had no idea if we could even get out of our neighborhood. We didn't know what was going to happen. It was terrifying. It was scary. Well, thankfully, everything was okay. We got out of the neighborhood. We made it to the ER. Uh, Lily was given some steroids to help her lungs start breathing. She was diagnosed with something called rapid-onset croup. Uh, It's not as shockingly uncommon as it seemed to us. Um, And apparently that dog barking is like a thing that happens when when kids get croup. Um, But I share that story because as a parent, it was definitely one of the more terrifying moments of my life. My fear of the worst, what was going to happen to my little girl? Well, it turned into panic and desperation as Noelle and I tried to figure out what we were going to do. What about you? Undoubtedly, the context is different. Undoubtedly, the situation wasn't the same. But when has fear turned to desperation in your own life? What do you do? Where do you go? Who do you go to? You see, as we'll see in our passage tonight in Mark, fear grips every single one of us at some point in our lives. And so the question for each of us is, what do we do with that fear? Do we let it control us? Where do we go with it? Well, tonight we're continuing our sermon series through the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to be looking at chapter 5 of Mark's Gospel, the second half of chapter 5. And in our passage, 
I want us to see three things particularly about Jesus tonight. I want us to see his priorities. I want us to see his timing. And I want us to see Jesus' power. And so first, Jesus' priorities. Mark 5, 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. So Mark tells us that Jesus gets off his boat and a crowd of people starts forming around him. And as they do, a man named Jairus, he comes rushing to Jesus and he falls at his feet. Okay, so, so who's Jairus? Jairus, Mark tells us, is one of the synagogue leaders. So in other words, he, he's the kind of big-time religious guy in the city. In all likelihood, he would have been wealthy. He, he would have been prominent, probably at the top of the social ladder, so to speak. But Mark tells us something else about Jairus. He tells us that Jairus is desperate. So desperate that he comes rushing to Jesus and he falls at his feet. Now, this is actually a pretty big deal because usually synagogue leaders of that day were Pharisees. And if we know anything about Pharisees, Pharisees didn't often get along with Jesus. But when we're desperate, sometimes we do things that we wouldn't normally do. You see, Jairus is no different from you and I. And so that's why he falls at Jesus' feet and he begs, he begs Jesus, please, my little girl is dying. Come heal her. Come quick. Come now. You see, that, that story I shared earlier about Lily, and as a dad with, with two little girls and a, and a little boy, I can't conceive of a scenario worse than what Jairus is going through in this moment. His little girl is dying. The Gospel of Luke talks about the same story, and it adds a detail for us. It says that, that this little girl is Jairus' only daughter. It's his only daughter. And so imagine for a second how afraid Jairus must have been, how much his fear would have turned to desperation in that moment. Jesus, there's nothing I can do. I've tried everything. Please do something. She's going to die any moment. So what does Jesus do? He says, okay, I'll go. And he leaves with Jairus. Think about for a moment the sense of relief that must be coming over Jairus right then. My girl is dying. I need Jesus. Jesus is coming. She's going to be okay. Let's pick up the story where we left off. Mark 5, 24. A large crowd followed and pressed around Jesus. Mark is telling us that the drama of the moment is intensifying. People want to see a miracle. Will Jesus get there in time? And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. So Mark tells us that Jairus' little girl is going to die at any moment. Jesus is on the way. But then all of a sudden, boom, verse 25. A woman appears in the story. 
And this woman, we're told, has a problem. She's been suffering for a long time, 12 years from some sort of bleeding, probably menstrual in nature. And if the embarrassment of having a condition like that wasn't bad enough, we also know from the Old Testament book of Leviticus that that this sort of bleeding would have made her what's known as, as being ceremonially unclean. We don't have time to get into the specifics of what that means, but suffice it to say that her condition would have left her ostracized from her Jewish community, leaving her alone and isolated. But it wasn't just embarrassment. It wasn't just isolation that this woman was suffering from. Mark tells us that she also suffered from the cures of people that said would help her. In fact, Mark tells us that those cures people were trying to give her made the problem a lot worse. Trying to fix this woman's problem made it worse. Uh, I have a buddy. He knows that I'm sharing this story. Um, he likes to think that he's really handy, but, but he's not at all, particularly when it comes to things around the house. You probably already know where the story's going. A few months ago, his faucet breaks, right? Why be happy when you can own a home? And, um, and rather than calling the plumber... He, he decides to take it upon himself. He says, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of this. I, I think I can figure out what to do. And so he foregoes the plumber and, and grabs some tools. I honestly don't even know if he owns tools, but he found something. He found a hammer at least because he told me at one point he was banging on his faucet with a hammer. Don't bang on your faucet with a hammer. A couple hours later, he concedes to his wife, I have no idea what I'm doing. We need to call the plumber. The plumber gets there kind of sees what's happening. He says, you know, what, what did you do? Turns out he did about $300 worth of damage. Don't do that. You see, for 12 years, fix after fix, answer after answer, cure after cure, one failed hope after another, nothing worked for this woman. You see, her problems only get worse, and now she's desperate. So desperate that she's willing to venture out of her isolation, running through a crowd to do whatever she can to fix her problem. What about us? See, I would venture to guess that, that nobody in here is suffering from the same sort of thing that this woman was. But if we're all honest, we all have problems that we're trying to fix. We all have problems that we're trying to fix, conditions that we're trying to cure. You see, we're insecure about the way we look, and so we diet and exercise so much that it actually starts to harm us. We're anxious about not being good enough, and so we overcommit ourselves just to prove that we're worth it. We're lonely, so we hook up just to feel wanted, even if we know that it's not going to last. We want to feel like we belong, so we turn to drugs and alcohol to get acceptance from our peers. You see, we all have problems. I have problems. We all have problems, conditions that we want to fix and cure. So ask yourself, as, as you take a look at your life, if you're really honest, if you're really honest with yourself, are the cures that you're using, the solutions that our culture gives us to fix our problems, are they making your problems better? Or are they making your problems worse? You see, this woman is suffering. She's lonely. 
She's desperate. If I can just touch Jesus' clothes, I'll be healed, she thought. And so in the midst of the crowd, in the midst of her desperation, she reaches out just enough to touch him. Just enough. And what happens? Well, Mark tells us that immediately her bleeding stops and she feels in her body that she's been freed from her suffering. Let's pick up the story. Mark 5, 30, 31. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. Full disclosure, I don't exactly know entirely what that means, but clearly Jesus was able to sense that something happened in this moment. And so he turns around in the crowd and he says, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? You see, Jesus is in the midst of a huge crowd, all there to see a miracle, all there to see if Jesus can get to Jairus' little girl in, the time, in time. And Jesus stops. He says, whoa, 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 whoa. Somebody touched me. Who was it? You see, whenever I read this, I like to think of the disciples and everyone looking, kind of giving him the blank face emoji. Who touched you? Everybody touched you, Jesus. We're in a crowd of people. But Jesus doesn't let it go. Look at Mark 5.32. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. I spent a a couple summers in Japan, and and this is what um, the subways sometimes look look like. This this amount of people in a little space. I kind of like to think that Jesus is walking through a crowd like this, rubbing shoulders with literally everybody that he walks by. And so imagine what the people must have been thinking Jesus, why are you asking who touched you? That's a pointless question. We're in a crowd of people, man. What are you talking about? We've got to go. This little girl is dying. Why are you stopping to figure out who touched you? But you see, to stop, to look around, to ask the question, to ask who touched him, that wasn't a pointless question to Jesus at all. Jesus had much different priorities. Jesus wasn't asking the question because Jesus needed to know the answer. Jesus was asking the question because he knew the person that touched him needed to answer. Mark 5, 33. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, she came and she fell at his feet. And trembling with fear, she told him the whole truth. Have you ever been that afraid I mean, the, 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 the trembling with fear afraid. I remember when I was a little kid, I was like eight or nine. I used to love riding my bike. I had a sweet huffy. I had a playing card in the spokes. So it sounded like a little motorcycle. I was really cool. And um, I remember riding around one day. And, and for whatever reason, the grips on my handlebars had kind of like started to slide to the inside. And so exposed on, on the end of my handlebars was just metal. And I'm riding in the street, and I go into uh, my neighbor's driveway, and for whatever reason, I lost control. And, and I literally fell into the car, scratch. But then I kept going, scratch, literally down the entire car. I left one long eight-foot scratch on this newish car. And I freaked out, and I just bolt. I mean, I literally threw my bike down, and I just ran home. I lived about 100 yards away. I just ran. Eight or nine, maybe this is going to help. I don't know. I'll just run away from it. Sitting in my parents' living room. And a few minutes later, the phone rings. I know exactly who was on the other end of that phone. It's my neighbors. My friends had told on me, and, and they were now asking that I come back and tell them what I had done. 
So my parents hang up the phone and they say, son, you need to, you need to go down and talk to our neighbors. And so I had to walk about 100 yards thinking, what, what was I going to say to them about what I had done? What would they say to me when I got there? You see, knowing that she shouldn't because of her uncleanliness and yet doing so anyway, this woman reaches out and she touches Jesus. You see, maybe she thought that she could just touch him and and get away, just get cured and bolt. But Jesus has different priorities. And so rather than letting her go, he forces her to come out and stand in front of the crowd for everyone to see. And so trembling with fear, She falls at Jesus' feet. What would he say? What would he do? Mark 5, 34. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Jesus looks at this woman, trembling with fear, a religious and societal outcast for the last 12 years, if not longer. And he looks deep into her eyes and he says, daughter, daughter, how long do you think it's been since anyone spoke to her so sweetly? With such compassion, with with such love, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. You see, Jesus doesn't let the woman run after being healed because Jesus knows that this woman needs far more than a miracle for true healing. She needs him. And so Jesus looks at her and he says, your faith has healed you. It's your trust in me that has made you well. Let's be clear on that. Go in peace. See, not only is Jesus affirming this woman's physical healing, but also her restoration to wholeness, to peace, to what the Bible calls shalom in the community of God. Your faith has made you well. Where do you go to fix the problems in your life? Think about that. Where do you go to to fix the problems in your life? Do you let our culture tell you what to do? Do you let your friends, your parents, where do you go? Yourself? Do you go to Jesus? See, Jesus, Jesus wants our faith. Jesus wants our trust in him, not in our culture's solutions to our problems. Jesus wants our faith in him because that's what heals the most lethal sickness that we all suffer from, the sickness of a sinful heart. So that's why Jesus looks at this woman and he says, your faith has healed you. That's Jesus' priorities. Okay, but what about his timing? Remember Jairus? the well-to-do religious guy that that was in panic mode, in desperation mode, because his daughter was dying and he needed Jesus' help. How do you think Jairus feels right now? I mean, think about that. How does Jairus feel while all this stuff is going on? Jesus is on his way to heal his daughter, his only daughter, and this woman from the crowd comes out of nowhere and hijacks Jesus' attention. 
I mean, imagine for a second what must have been going on through his head. Can it wait, Jesus? We gotta go. My girl is dying. You see, this woman, I know it's bad. She's been suffering for a really long time, but can't she wait just a little bit more because my girl is dying right now? See, I can't imagine that wait for Jairus. It must have been excruciatingly difficult. See, we live in a culture that hates waiting, right? I mean, if you're like me at all, you don't even like waiting in line at Chipotle to get your burrito. You know, it's, it's, it's a huge buzzkill when you walk in and the line's just like wrapped around the door. You know, which apparently is why uh, Chipotle and Google have teamed up and are working with researchers at Virginia Tech to begin testing the possibilities of delivering burritos by drone. This is a true story. I read it a few days ago. Maybe the wait's over. I don't know. True story. Nobody likes to wait, though. We don't like to wait. That's why we deliver food with drones. But when it comes to waiting on Jesus in our lives, I wonder if there's something that Jesus wants to teach us while we wait. I wonder if there's something that Jesus wants to teach us while we wait. Let's look at Mark 5.35. While Jesus was still speaking, Jesus has already healed this woman, and Mark tells us that he's still talking. He's still talking. That had to feel like an eternity to Jairus. While Jesus is still speaking, some people come from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Your little girl's dead. You didn't make it in time. She's gone. If you're Jairus, how do you handle that moment emotionally? How do you handle that moment? What's going on inside you the moment that you realize your little girl is dead and if Jesus would have just hurried up, she might still be alive? Next verse. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told Jairus, he says, don't be afraid. Just believe Jairus' only little girl is gone. Let that sink in. She's gone. And amidst the emotion, amidst the hurt, the grief, the anger, the confusion, Jesus looks Jairus straight in the eyes. And he says, don't be afraid. Just believe. Sit there and wait, Jairus, because I know what I'm doing. Trust me. Is Jesus delaying something in your life? Is there something going on in your life that you just wish Jesus would hurry up and fix? A relationship? A job? An illness? You see, might it be that Jesus actually wants us to wait? Might it be that Jesus actually wants us to learn something about ourselves, more importantly, something about him in the midst of it? I know what I'm doing, Jesus says. Don't be afraid. You can trust me. Keep believing in me. Maybe for some of you, it feels like Jesus is delaying unnecessarily. Maybe for others of you, it feels more than just unnecessarily. It feels like Jesus is wrongly delaying in your life. Surely Jairus felt that. But maybe we, maybe Jairus, maybe we just don't have 
all of the facts. Maybe Jesus actually does know what he's doing and maybe his timing is different than our own. And so if that's the case, are we going to be people willing to trust Jesus? See, he wants our faith and he wants us to trust his timing. But what about his power? Mark 5, 37 to 40. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they all laughed at him. Jesus is laughed at. He's mocked. Why are you wasting your time, Jesus? She's gone. You see, but these people didn't have all the facts. And they most certainly didn't know who it was that they were dealing with. Let's read the end of the story. Mark 5.40. And after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went in where the child was. And he took her by the hand, and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. And at this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. You see, Jesus walks over to this little girl and he takes her by the hand and he says, arise, arise. No force, no magic, just a few short words. And the people were astonished. Of course they were. Who was this? Who is this guy that just raised this little girl back from the dead? You see, Jesus had healed people before. But this is the first time in the Gospel of Mark that we see Jesus stare death straight in the face. Look dead in the eyes and whisper, honey, it's time to get up. You see, if Jesus has you by the hand, death is nothing more to him than sleep. Such is my power, Jesus says. Jesus' kingdom is like no other. In 1964, a man named Bud Wood founded a, a place called Shepherd's Home. It's a home, a ministry in Wisconsin for boys and girls uh, suffering from mental and physical disabilities. Still around today, it's called Shepherd Ministries, and as far as I can tell, it's a fantastic ministry. But what struck me the other day as I was reading about it is something that Bud, the founder, said to one of his friends. He's talking to his friend Joe. He says, hey, Joe, do you know what our biggest maintenance need at Shepherd's is? Joe was like, no, I don't know. But it says, dirty windows. We've got dirty windows. What? Why dirty windows? Well, because our kids always press their hands and their faces against the glass, against the windows. Why? Catch what Bud says. They're putting their hands and faces against the windows because they're looking to the sky to see if today might be the day that Jesus will return to heal them and to make them well. You see, those kids, they may have been suffering from developmental disabilities, but they understood something profound about Jesus. 
The arrival of Jesus' kingdom brings the hope of restoration, the hope of renewal to a world badly suffering from the effects of sin. One day, Jesus would return to heal them forever. So Jesus loses his own father's hand when he goes to the cross so that one day he could take ours and lead us to a resurrected life with him for all of eternity. There will be a day when Jesus, the true king, comes to restore all things, to put everything right, to renew our bodies, renew the world. But until then, we wait. We press our hands and our faces against the glass as we long for the return of our Savior, the one who will come to make everything sad come untrue, the one who has defeated death and overcome sin with a victory on the cross. You see, sometimes we don't understand Jesus' delays in our lives. Sometimes it seems unnecessary. Why? Jesus, why? Sometimes it feels deliberate. Jesus is holding out on us. But maybe in his wisdom, he wants us to wait for a particular reason. As the music team comes up, let me me close with this thought. Jesus is saying to us in this passage, I care about your dirty windows. I care about your suffering." I care about your illness. I care about your problems, your pain, your hurt. And more importantly, I want you to know that I can overcome them. You see, when you come under the healing hand of Jesus, everything in your life will begin to heal. Maybe not completely this side of heaven. Maybe not immediately, maybe not in your own timing or when you'd prefer, but the good news of the gospel is that It will happen. It will happen. One day, Jesus' return will bring the end of all fear, all suffering, all illness, all death, because in the end, these things have no power. Jesus does. So the question for all of us, will you let Jesus take you by the hand? Don't be afraid. Just believe, keep believing. You can trust me, Jesus says. Amen.